Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Sacred and Small, a conversation in liturgy and mission. My name is Jason Buckwalter, alongside my good friend and pastoral colleague, Jason Hill. How are you doing today, Jason? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Not too yeah. bad. Getting an early start. Um, it's early morning here for us. Is this early morning for you? It, it is, and I've I've yet to have a whole lot of my coffee, so that may affect the quality of my brain's functioning. I don't know. I don't yeah. want to use it as an excuse, but I might. There we go. <laughs> well, we've talked about uh, we've talked about liturgy a little bit in the past, and this whole thing we're doing is liturgy and mission, and so. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, mission and kind of different aspects and and what it is. I think both you and I grew up in a time, uh, maybe not you so much because you weren't necessarily as as uh, as church, but I did. Thinking about missions in a in a plural kind of activity that you do as a trip, right? As a trip or something right. you raise money for to give toward missions. Right. Car washes, apple pies. Right. We should sales. talk about our apple pies. Emissions in our church, in our context, is is huge. Um, our church every year makes, we're not doing it this year because COVID is a problem. Um, but yeah, we make like a thousand pies, apple pies, the most uh, delicious, tasty, fat building apple pies in the history of the world. And we sell them to raise money for missions. At least traditionally, that's the language that, that we put on that. And that's the language that our, our customers who come in and purchase the pies from us still think this goes towards your missions, right? Yes, towards our missions. Yes. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it's the language that our denomination has used for ever. Yeah. Since 1908, it's, it's inception. Right. Um, but we're talking about something, something much bigger than that, right? I mean, missions is a subset of mission, certainly. Yeah. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? What mission kind of uh, big M, if you will? Big M mission. Well, it, one of the things that we've been saying, right, if, if liturgy is the work of the people in response to God, then in some way mission is the expression of the character and nation nature character of nation uh, <laughs> character Too close and, to election season. Yeah, it is very close. Yeah. <laughs> character and nature of God in the world. God is living and active, right? He didn't just create the world and then set it like a clock and, and sit back and watch. He, he is doing things. He is expressing himself uh, in this world uh, as part of his kingdom. And, and that is, that is mission. That is the mission of God to bring grace and redemption to his creation, first and foremost, you and I, us. Yeah, so, so it starts with the understanding and realization that the world as it exists right now is not the world that God intends for it to be, or even, you know, even now, but in the future as well. Uh, and so that, that God is actively involved in taking the world and remaking it and restoring it to uh, all things new, as as uh, as he says in the in the gospels, there. All things new and all things old, though too, right? All things. Right, right. So it's not all new things. Yeah. But it's all all things new. Yeah. Um, like what you might do to a car that's really old and junky that could be a classic. It's you know restoring it. Although I think I think I want to think that what what 
the end game of mission of God's mission is not necessarily just making it shiny again, but right. uh, something bigger and grander, but that, that's probably something for another conversation. I don't know though here. See, cause I'm, I'm curious now and I want to hear, I want to hear your thoughts for it in right now. I'm preaching at it. In fact, this week uh, I am preaching Genesis chapter three, the fall, right? So I'm dealing directly with these issues. Did God's mission change after the fall or was it always the same mission even pre-fall i i there's part of me that wants to say the mission changed you think so i I think that's that's the narrative i've i've grown up with right really yeah Uh, even even though there's part of that that says that uh that god is you know unchanging and immutable uh and, and so god doesn't make mistakes well obviously something went sideways here um maybe the Noah story illustrates that as well. So God adjusts. I think God is always adjusting at the same time. And yet I think, I think that it was always God's plan. Uh, I think that the incarnation was always God's plan. Yeah. Uh, That resurrection and uh, maybe not resurrection. I don't know. I'll think through that. Uh, Our eternal communion with God in maybe even bodily form was always part of God's plan. Right. Cause uh, when we talk about mission, it almost seems like that's, that's it. Like we think of, we think of mission as uh, getting people saved. Plan B. Yeah. Well, yeah. Getting, yeah. You were in hell. We need, you need to be in heaven. Therefore, if you come to the altar and pray this prayer or read this tract, then, then you'll go to heaven, and that's the mission of God. But it seems like the mission of God is more is is defined for us in Genesis one and two, where God alone in a in a void created, expressed Himself. Right, mission. We're back to that. Created, revealed Himself, too. revealed Himself, created Himself, and then poured Himself into you and I and our and our you know distant ancestors, but also you and I ourselves for this, you know, walk in the garden in the cool of the day type relationship that still is his primary, here's the mm-hmm. word, mission is getting back to that. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe adjustment is, is a good word there because when we were with God in the garden, the potential for sin existed, obviously. Otherwise, how could we have fallen? Um and when that came to pass, like you mentioned resurrection, it's hard for me to imagine that resurrection was the plan as opposed to, say, an adjustment. But the incarnation, I think, was the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it depends on how you want to look at death. If, if actual physical death, if, if the serpent is talking about spiritual death, which I'm pretty sure he is, uh, but if if physical death is a part of God's plan from the beginning, then then resurrection I think has to be a part of God's plan. But yeah. if maybe we're like caught up in chariots of fire, if if that was the the original plan, um, then maybe resurrection is a part of that. So I, I I'm not sure I thought through that. <laughs> Hold, you put me on the spot. So well, right. But this is a conversation, so that right. <laughs> we never know where exactly we're going to go. But never know what's going to come out. Yeah. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to think about that now, I think, all weekend long, about the idea of resurrection as, as the plan. But in some ways, it's sort of both, because 
if we look at time as a creation of God and God existing outside of time, that might be a concept that will, you know, blow right. some of our listeners and, and viewers minds. But if we look at that, then, then the fall and the adjustment that we mentioned could also have been part of the plan because God would have seen sort of everything all at once in extra dimensional space. Now we're really getting into we're space really time. getting into difficult areas. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure it matters. No, uh, it doesn't. I, I think the important thing is that uh, from the beginning, God's got some some kind of plan. Yeah, and and the plan went awry. Yeah, uh, but we confess with the Apostle Paul in Romans that he's working all things, you know, for the good of those who for love the, him. Yeah, uh, yeah, not to the exclusion, I think, of those who don't. Yeah. Uh, Look, God's I, I desire, God's desire has always been to be among us, right? And and to to you know for either that relationship to be or for that relationship to be restored, um, and and that doesn't change today. And if we talk about mission, we can talk about it in big picture Genesis through Revelation, but we can also talk about it just right here in our own little churches and our own neighborhoods. That God still desires to be among us, to be working among us, to be restoring that originally intended relationship that he had for every uh, human and every part of creation that he, that he has brought into being. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times we, we take that and think it's only for those who are going to respond. And I think if, if the incarnation and the crucifixion teaches us anything, it's that that is, uh, that's not true, that, that God's presence is and working is for even those who do not love him. Um, uh, and I think most, we see that most clearly in like the Beatitudes, uh, right. Maybe, but I, so with that, I think there's a level of insignificance that sometimes we attach to people who don't, who don't ever respond. Um, do you ever feel like that when we talk about mission and like God's mission for us, that as a, a small church that, that some might see maybe even other, other pastoral colleagues in different places that might see a small church as um, less equipped or less able, or that God's not going to work uh, through that small church in the same way that God might work through a big mega. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like we, we think of the mission of God as God's mission, but then we also think of it in terms of size, right? That, right. Like those that are capable, like large churches that are capable of of ministering to a great number of people or to a large spatial area, you know, a, a whole city, a whole state, a whole area, a, a TV audience, for example, um, that their mission is bigger than your mission or your small church's mission. And I, boy, I just, it's all the same mission, right? It's, it's all the same. It's God's mission. It's not my mission. It's not Jason Buckwalter's mission. It's not Cape Church of the Nazarene's mission or, or, you know, Joel Osteen's mission. It's, it's all the same mission because it's all the same kingdom. It's all the same God. Right, right. And, and it, it, it doesn't matter how big you are, right? And yeah. I, this, this may be off topic. I don't know, but I, I think I, uh, react against church mission statements uh, because <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and if you're out there and you belong to the denomination and your denomination or your board is pushing you for a church mission statement, it's not bad. If you got to play the game, play the game. 
Um, but I think that the church has one mission, and it is to participate with God in his mission of restoration and redemption in the world. That's, that's it. Now, there's lots of things a part of that, and there's lots of things I think each individual church and each individual person, right? There's corporate side and personal side uh, that maybe we should choose to discern where we best uh, contribute to that, that mission that God has already engaged in in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking about mission statements this morning too, as we were as we were talking about them. I think it's I think it is on topic, and I think it is important to bring up. Now, one thing that I will say um, about mission statements, because I've been a practitioner of them and a proponent of them, um, largely though, I will admit this, and this is where this is where some of our distinctiveness needs to come into play when we talk to our audience. It seems like the academic world, with which both of us are a part of, because we're in our doctorate of ministry programs. The academic world uh, tends to be more anti-mission statement, mm-hmm. whereas the practical church leadership world is very pro-mission statement. And so I came into my my program, my doctorate of ministry program, pro-mission statement, read a lot of texts, read a lot of books, thought about it quite a bit, and I'm now, <laughs> now rolling that back a little bit. But um, the one thing that I think is vital is that we have to be intentional in creating language that expresses the mission of God. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that mission statements do is that it allows us to put common, um, reproducible language on what God is doing. Um, so it becomes a, a vital part of the way that we talk and the way that we then act. Because language, this is a something that I, I learned, I'm sure he wasn't the start of it, but there's a uh, a missional church leader, a church planner named Michael, Mike Breen was his name, uh, three-dimensional ministries. You can, you can look it up, but, but he said this, and it stuck with me, and I still, I still think it's true, that language creates culture. And as we talk about mission, we talk about mission statements, we talk about the activity of God, that becomes who we are. If we don't talk about it, then we probably won't do it. So it's important that we talk about it in, in the right ways. Right. I think our, our current language has been shaped by, uh, at least for us, I think, saving souls, right? Right. And, and to the exclusion of the physical and, and the tangible part of, of God's mission that's, you know, less, less that way. Um, and so I do think, I, I agree with you, I, I think we are not able to conceive of something in our minds until we have language to, uh, to articulate it. Yeah. But I think I think when I think the process maybe for developing that language has to take a significantly slower amount of time and it has to be um, more corporate than just um, pastor goes up on the mountain to pray and comes back with a vision from God. Yeah, I, I think that that was one of the first questions that I had that someone put to me when I when I started um, here in Heartland. It was uh, so. So what what? you know, what vision has God given you? What mission has God given you for our church? And it's like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm not Moses. We're going to hopefully uh, pray and discern and read and find out what it is that God's calling us to do, that God's already doing in our midst to participate mm-hmm. with it. Right. So we, we've talked about, we've talked really significantly about the corporate church-wide kind of thing. And there's probably more to say there. Um, is there a sense that uh, 
families or individuals have, have a significant uh, place in, in God's mission in discerning what that looks like uh, alongside of or apart from the church? Yeah, I think, I think, and this, you know, going back again to sort of creation and Genesis to the very beginning, everything God created, he created good. He created with intention, with, with purpose, with significance. Um, the way that I've been preaching it right now, and this is, I'm kind of going back to this because it's on my mind because I'm literally preaching this series as, as we speak, right? Um, is that God saw it in his mind's eye, spoke it into existence, and it was good, right? And I think that applies to all of us. So I think when we talk about the church, God has a mission, and that mission is has a church, right? A corporate body of, mm-hmm. of, of actors um, who act out liturgically the mission of God. But then it also has uh, individual aspects of it, that not only does the church have a mission that we organize, we measure, we evaluate, we communicate, but, but all of us inju- individually as part of the creation of God, all of us also have a mission that is just as worthwhile mm-hmm. as the corporate mission. In fact, in some ways, probably the corporate mission is really just the gathered expression of our of these smaller missional activities. Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, like a lot of things that we've we're we're thinking about, it's cyclical, right? Uh, yeah. Liturgy and mission are cyclical. Right. Um, one feeds the other, and the other feeds the the same. So I think that our our individual and and family missions. Uh, the church helps us discern what that is, helps us develop the, the practices to be able to, um, to see where God is working in the world, um, encourages us, strengthens us. Yeah. A- at the same time, like we're not so, hopefully anyway, we're not so tight on, on what that looks like that uh, a family or an individual who, is, who we, the church has nurtured into to finding that, their place in that mission uh, can't come back and say, hey, this is, this is what God is, is saying to me. This is what God is saying to our family. This is how we're going to participate in God's mission. Uh, would you join alongside with us? Right. And so I think it's, it's just, it's, it's got to, I think it has to be that way. We're richer when it's not just the pastor or, or the board or the pastoral leadership team that says, this is God's mission for us. This is how we're going to do it. But when we empower folks to come back and say, hey, this is what's happening. Please join with me in what I'm doing. And maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is wrong. But isn't that where the small church might have an advantage? I, 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 think, I, I think we've both been there, and I think we'd both say yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, big ships are harder to turn. Yeah. Now, small ships can be just as hard to turn depending well, on the small, folks. Small yeah. ships can turn in all kinds of different ways at the, at the right. same time. In, in fact, it might be easier to throw you out of the small ship. Right. <laughs> right. Man overboard. Man overboard. Woman overboard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I think, I think you're right. Cause the, the level of relationship within that, I hopefully, in a small church is, is greater. Right. I think, and you can, you can talk about your experience too, but both of us came from larger churches um, when we were associate pastors. Now we're small churches as senior pastors. And, 
in our context, in my context, uh, in a large church plant in Tulsa, we were running, we don't make this about numbers, but just to give you a little context, probably towards the end of it, I was the administrative pastor in charge of all of our adult ministries and compassionate ministries. And we were running somewhere between like 750 and 1,000, kind of in that range. And people would come to me and they would say, hey, pastor, I've got this great idea for a, a ministry. And let me put the language we're using on that today on that. Basically, what they were saying to me was, I have this great idea for a corporate missional expression um, that I think the church should be involved in. Mm-hmm. And I found myself having to say no to those missional expressions because it didn't fit well within the pre-existing structures of ministry and volunteer bases and and everything that we already had in place. Like we, and, and under my leadership, we're trying to do this thing. And so this thing over here, which was sort of an interesting idea and would have been a good thing, doesn't fit administratively within this thing. So therefore, this thing can't happen and God can't express himself missionally this way because I have to say no to you. Or I have to put it back on them and say, yeah, if you want to do it, go ahead. It's go entirely ahead. up to you. We can't help you at all. Which, and, and, if, and if you were oh. to say if you were to say yes all the time, then, then you would label that missional drift, right? Missional Mission drift, drift, right. Uh, uh, have you read church. the book? We both read and we both know the concept, right, of right. simple church. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's where my mind went. Um, so yeah. my, our previous church, we read that book. We, we dissected it. We had meetings upon meetings upon hours of mind-numbing meetings. <laughs> and um, it seemed to no, go, go nowhere, which is fine. Um, but we, de- we defined like very, in very simple terms, like these are the things that we are going to do. And if, they, if, if something doesn't fit within that narrow definition, then, you know, we're just not going to do it. Right. We're going we're gonna to cancel it. We're going to throw it out and people are going to get mad. And that's okay to make people mad sometimes. Yeah. But I is. think, and, and it's okay to be focused, I feel yeah. like, but you got to be open as well. Right. I just, there's no way to. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what we evaluate, what we measure, what we organize, right? Because, because corporately there, there, as a corporate church, there is only so much that we can do together. And we, we tend to kind of have our own as pastors and leaders, we have our own sort of priorities and our own kind of, you know, desires of things that we want to do. And usually it's what's evaluated, what's measured, what, what is organized, what's popular. Those are the things that we, we gravitate towards. And I think inadvertently, we end up telling people if it's not organized corporately by a church, if it's not evaluated by our district leadership or our denominational headquarters, right, then it's not valuable. And therefore, it's not missions. So it would be a waste of our time. And that is utter foolishness. Yeah, that is utter foolishness. You're not an authorized teacher. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And, yes, and I just I preached on that. That despite last week, the despite the entire Old Testament and New Testament, you know, uh, model of of household responsibility to teach children and raise up and disciple. Right? No, you're not an authorized teacher, and therefore, what you're doing is invalid. Right. Which is which is the same accusation that the religious leaders uh, leveled on Jesus. But, um, yeah. The, and he's like, they're like, well, by what authority do you do this? And he's well, like, I'm not going to tell you yeah, unless you tell me about John, but they didn't anyway. Yeah. That's, that was last week's sermon. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah. I, 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 
I want to be careful though, that like, it's not just a free for all. No, right? and that's, no, but, but it, it, it's not, but it, but maybe it could be more of that than the way that we make it. For sure. Because I think we're, we're yeah. trapped in the, here's, here's a, a phrase um, that I've recently learned, technocratic rationality. Ooh. Mm. You got to pay for those kinds of words, guys. Um, it's just, it's, it's really, it's just, um, you see a problem, you develop a plan to get you to where you want to go. You have these steps, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And it's very rational. It's very ordered. That's the way our, our world has been, has been structured. And um, as a technocrat, as a, as a leader, you can, you can make that go and you can replicate it and you can tell other people this is the way to do it. Um, but that is not, it seems, the way the Holy Spirit works, which I think brings us to Pentecost and uh, the, the major mission, right? Uh, that we see with the birth of the church. Uh, um, Alan Roxborough talks about it like a, uh, well, he's not the only one. He gets this from Alan Kreider, but like a, uh, a bubbling, right? It's, it's bubbling up from the ground here and there, and it's disruptive, and it's not organized and rational at times. And so we have to help folks break out of that kind of square box to begin to see where God is working uh, already in the world. I think, is it in some ways, and I think Pentecost might be an expression of this. I, I haven't really thought of it this way, but isn't it a being versus doing issue in the sense that um, God is his character, his nature, God is, and, and he does all kinds of things as, as an expression of his character. And I think the same thing applies to us. And this is where, this is where I'm bring, bringing Pentecost into it. On Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and filled us, who we are changed. Mm-hmm. Our, our being changed because now we had God not just externally, um, you know, as a law uh, that, that dictating your actions in the Old Testament or even as a person walking amongst you in the incarnational presence of Jesus Christ, but you actually had God in the spirit dwelling within you that changed who we, who we were changes who we are. I, w- I wanted that to be an active sense. Right. It's gotta be, it's continual, are. right? If, continual if change, about- right? It wasn't just a one-time thing, even though we like right. to, we like to make sanctification us Nazarenes into a one-time moment or salvation into a one-time moment. Those two are separate. Right. But um, I don't think so. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a whole different set of whole different set of episodes. Nazarene, turn it off before we get. Yeah, anyway, um, but yeah, it, it it mission can. I want to think, and I, I don't know how this works with me as a pastor, but I want to think that if we create beings, transformed beings that that are engaged with the, we facilitate the spirit creating transformed beings. Right, right. If we if we do that, then then mission mission will be. It just will be. Whether because we, it's a, it's we'll an have to organize it, sometimes we we'll are. have to, yeah. yeah, we'll have to whatever big, you know, academic word you just used, I, which I can't even technocratic rationality. Rationality. There Jeez, we go. You got to pay money to universities to use words like that, but um, you know that that might be part of it. But but really, it might be enough. I, I like to think, and I could be wrong, but it might be enough. That if we simply create beings through the power of the Holy Spirit, then doings will follow, and that would be enough. They will know us by our love. 
Ooh. Yeah. Is it that simple? I, I kind of think so. Yeah. Um, and, and love is, well, Paul says a lot of things, but love is always, and this is, this is points to the na- nature and character of God. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Love is always an active, active working for the good and flourishing of the other. Like that, I think that is the heart of mission, of God's yeah. mission in the world. Yeah. And if we, if we just did that. If we did that. If we if, just did that. I, I, I mean, my, my gosh, we could, we, not just we, God would and is changing the world through that. So the question becomes, Jason, uh, if it's that simple, if we just do that, then, then how is it that we do that? without um, prescribing seven steps to get you to uh, people who are transformed by the Holy Spirit, who actively and consistently seek the good and flourishing of the other. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and this is why if we, I'll, I'll be honest, my, the, the dissertation that I'm working on, that's, that's the heart of the question, right? Is, is how do you, how does authentic transformational discipleship, right? Which is kind of what we're talking about happen within a small church concept uh, context or organically, because I don't see, I don't see that we're having, it's not necessarily happening um, organizationally, but maybe it could happen organically. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, a part of me thinks that our models of church are so ingrained in, in who we are and what we do that it's really hard for us to get out of our own way sometimes. Um, and also I think the sort of in, you know, inhabited um, understanding of the life and the, the work of the church is so ingrained in our people that it, it creates um, conflict. I think I can use the word conflict there mm-hmm. with what God actually is wanting to do because we're, yeah. we're so ingrained in what we always have done. Um, and defeating those is extremely difficult. I haven't figured that out yet, which is why this is a conversation. If you have listener slash viewer, let us know in the comments because, um, boy, this is something that keeps me up at night. Right. I, I think, I think at, the, at the very least, it starts with being open to the Holy spirit to show us new things. Yeah. And I think that's not just, you know, a prayer service or whatever, but that's intentionally sitting and, um, engaging scripture in a slow and intentional way. Right. Um, not as, you know, a rule book or as a playbook or an instruction manual, but as, the narrative of what God has already done and how God has already shaped people uh, in holiness to participate in his mission. And um, I think, I think especially as we look at the new Testament, new Testament isn't as much uh, prescriptive as in telling us what to do as it is descriptive of what God had already done. And so I think when we, when we view it that way, um, maybe we, our eyes are open just a little bit more to be able to see how that works in our, our, our own ever changing, rapidly changing, I might say context. Hmm. Hmm. And I think, I think as small churches, 
it's easier to do this um, because the critical mass of people that you need is smaller. Yeah. And as a pastor or pastoral leadership team, uh, lay leaders, even your ability to engage in relationship and find w- what that is that's going to help you and your folks as a church hear and see what God is doing. Um, it's just, there's less degrees of separation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff today, Jason. I think it, you know, I don't, I think we asked more questions than we probably answered today. That's okay. Which, which is good. I, it's good. I think, I think that's the, that's the heart of what this is all about. It's a, it's a conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be continuing to um, play with these concepts probably our whole lives would be my guess. I, I think so. I think, I think so. Cause I think we are ever becoming new, new people yeah. for good or for ill. Um, yeah. And it's the, 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 uh, the extent to which we allow the spirit to do that. And um, we have to understand that mission is not separate from, from the church's liturgy, right? That intertwining of relationship between those things. And all of those things are part of our worship corporate and personal. Um, And so as we allow those things, as we engage in them with intentionality and openness, like it begins to shape us. Right. I think that's what what we want to say. Yeah. What we hope for anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So what is mission? The work of God. What is liturgy? Our work and response. Um, always connected. Yep. I think next time we're going to get really practical, right? I mean, not that ah. this isn't practical, but but you know, we're we're staring Advent in the face. It's right Ooh. here in front of us. And uh, I think next time uh, you can join us. We'll have a little discussion about the upcoming season of Advent and that what that means for um, for your church for small church setting. Um, should be should be fun. Should be good. Is that when I sing "Joy to the World" or "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel"? There's only two songs, as far as I'm concerned. There's only two Advent songs, and now your hymnal listener viewer might have more, but the Nazarenes basically don't recognize Advent. They only have two songs: "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," and "O Come, All Ye Faithful." So you got to do those two songs for four consecutive weeks, and only those two songs. And you shall not uh, singeth thou any Christmas songs. <laughs> I think we probably should talk about Christmas as well in that conversation about Advent. Yeah, I think we will. I think we yeah. will. But Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, as always, uh, hit that like button, subscribe to us on uh, this podcast or on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Um, these are all available on uh, Apple iTunes podcast and Google podcast um, or at the Sacred and Small channel on YouTube. And uh, yeah, great to have you with us. And we're always looking for your, your feedback. So if there's uh, something we can do better, if there's a comment you want to make, um, add to the discussion, we welcome that. And if uh, maybe there's something that you think would be important for us to discuss, we'd love to hear that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Well, we'll see you next time on Sacred and Small. Uh, Jason, grace and peace to you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And also with you. Yeah.